Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good or for ill. No character is sacred. Survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised, as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits, listen in to the legends from the fireside. In the last episodes of Legends from the Fireside, the party traveled to Oak Hollow, facing giant killer bees and making a new friend along the way. Terriad, the traveling cleric of Hemwall. Party arrive in Oak Hollow and find the pawnbroker of the town, Silverfingers, to be an old friend of sorts. Silverfingers unfortunately tells the party that their goods have all been sold off to dealers within the city of Thadel, likely to never be seen again. In order to make amends, Silverfingers offers them a chance to make some money by retrieving a parcel that was stolen on the trail leading to Oak Hollow by some gnolls. The party agreed, and before leaving for the trail to find this parcel, the party overheard a strange sleeping sickness has struck many within Oak Hollow. A bandit leader named Talagor, the master of fear, was also wanted dead or alive for 2,000 gold pieces. The party reached the midway point of their journey at the crossroads trade post, and Finn had unintentionally picked up a fifth member for this party, a strange man named Econ. Before we begin, it's time to give the newcomer Econ some stats. Because we had rolled Econ on a random table initially, we didn't get much of a chance to pick a good class to complement our party, and in the spirit of all things old school, we're just going to roll with our evilly aligned assassin. We'll see where we end up. So first, let's give Econ some ability scores now and see what he has for his powers. For strength, let's see what we got. An 11. No bonuses here. Constitution? A 12. A decent roll, but again, no bonuses. So his health is going to stay at 4, according to his class. Dexterity? A 10. No bonuses here. Which might come to bite our assassin in the end. Intelligence? 8. Uh-oh. We might have a penalty here because of this lower number, but... No, oh, I suppose his literacy is just considered basic. I don't really think we're going to encounter this at any point, but if we do, at least we know Econ can barely read. Wisdom. Nine. Again, average. And lastly, Charisma. Nine. No bonus, no penalty. Fair enough. A pretty average Joe, but let's see if he has the killer instinct to carry him on to level two. As an assassin... 
Econ's gonna have the ability to, well, assassinate. If Econ is able to land a backstab on a target, that target has a chance to potentially die outright. They'll need to roll a saving throw versus death, or, well, drop dead. Econ also has some thief skills, but before we dive into that, I do want to address a bit of a house rule that I have for how thief skills operate in basic. The way that I approach it is a little bit more simplified, and I know a lot of people out there, a lot of purists might disagree with this approach, but I have begun using a d6 system for thief skills, and the way that I do this is I simply look at whatever the d6 for hear noise is for that level of the character, and I carry that range on the d6 across. So for instance, at level one, Econ's going to have a 1 in 2 chance of hearing noises. I apply that to his other thief skills that he has across the board, so he has a 1 in 2 chance of success for any of the thief skills that he has. I also allow for specialization, players to be able to add a plus 1 to their range on the d6 for their skill rolls for whichever of the thief skills they think is the best specialized role for their character. So, for instance, perhaps Hide in Shadows is something Econ wants to be especially good at. He's going to get a plus one in that d6 roll. So, because Econ is a bit of a paranoid and, well, altogether scary individual, I'm going to give him a plus one in to hear noises specifically. So, he has a one in three chance of hearing noises on the other side of doors, or, I suppose, wherever, and a one in two chance for all his other thief skills. Another note I want to make on this same topic is that I don't view thief skills as being only available to thieves. Instead, what I mean by this is a thief skill is a measure of their super ability to do something. Anybody can hear noises at a door, but the thief, and the assassin, and whoever else has an opportunity to do that better than everybody else. So as I've seen other people interpret this on the internet, Everybody has the opportunity to hide in shadows, but a thief has a greater chance to do so. So in the off chance that our character Econ fails on an attempt to hide in shadows, I will also allow him a chance to roll against his dexterity. His ability to hide in shadows based in his assassin class shows that he has an opportunity to go above and beyond. But everybody has the chance to hide in shadows if they simply illustrate that to the dungeon master. However it is that I will adjudicate or judge the success is up to me. But the thief skills allow the character to do that specifically as per their class description. I'm sure that I'll be changing this rule in the near future, but that's the beauty of rulings over rules. I'm making a judgment now, and I'm going to say to heck with it in the future. Dramatis Personae Talagor, the Master of Fear Talagor, alongside his personal assistant, Elwan, along with a couple other bandit minions, were traveling down the West Run, away from the trade post known as the Crossroads. In their wagon, they were able to give off the facade that they were traveling merchants, being surrounded by satchels filled with coin, as well as bags and boxes filled with trade goods. No one would have second-guessed what it was that these men were here for. Unfortunately for the people of Delagrad, 
Talagor was very good at giving off facades and pretending to be who he wasn't. Talagor was on his way now to meet with a particular leader of a group of gnolls. This gnoll leader, known as Hacknaw, was not known for being very patient or very smart. Unfortunately, Hacknaw was a bit of a brute that was hard to work with. Talagor had set aside very specific instructions that Hacknaw was supposed to raid traveling caravans on this road, and whatever it was that he gathered would be sent off to the city of Thedal at a drop-off point, whereby some of his bandit accomplices could pawn off the wares, as well as get rid of it at a fence. But as the wagon veered off of the main trail and headed off to a small hamlet known as Lita, an abandoned hamlet that at one point in time was regarded as haunted due to the abrupt exodus of all of the people who once lived there. The place now operated as something of a hangout for the gnolls and other bandits who would make their livelihood off of robbing the innocent on the west run. As Talagor looked out the window of this wagon and saw the sun beginning its descent, he looked over at L1 and smiled wryly. So, tell me, do you think you're ready to speak with these gnolls? Or do you think that it's a good idea that I take over? Elwan was never really sure why it was that Talagor had taken such a liking to him, but he had learned very quickly that Talagor never asked a question or said anything to him that wasn't in some way a test of sorts. Elwan lifted his eyebrow in a pensive pose and said back, I don't know that I could do so. I don't speak the Null's language. Is... Are you expecting me to, to do this? Talagor answered this with a raucous laugh. Ha <laughs> ha! I'm sorry. Every once in a while, it's just enjoyable to watch you squirm under my gaze. No, I would not have you speak with them. And even then... I'm not speaking in the Null's language either. Apparently that brute Hacknaw has the ability to speak some some degree of the common tongue. But I think I think someday you'll be able to do some of this work for me. You know, you've come a long way since I first met you. And you always were the lucky one. I hope that luck will benefit you in the future, my friend. And he put a single hand onto his shoulder. Elwan thought back to the time that he had first met Talagor. Elwan's own band of thieves had planned to rob Talagor and his friends by raiding a club that they had known to hang out in, in Thedal. Unfortunately for them, they had no idea that one of the thieves in their group was an informant. And when it was that they got caught in a spider's web, Talagor offered an opportunity. One of his friends, the informant, was given a chance. He would have to call one side of the coin, heads or tails. If he chose wrong, he was to die. If he chose correctly, he was to live. Elwin never really understood what it was that made Talagor tick, but seeing how much he took delight in watching himself and his friend come to terms that they might die all based on the flip of a coin. 
It seemed to Elwan that Talagor had just enjoyed watching people squirm under his gaze and act in depraved and oftentimes evil ways to avoid the fear that he impressed into them. Elwan never really knew if the coin that was flipped was a trick coin or not, but what sticks out the most in his memories of that day was that Talagor put his hand on his shoulder and said, My, my, you are the lucky one, aren't you? What's your name? As Elwan came back from this memory, he shuddered as he looked over at Talagor and realized how much of his life he had spent beside this man and hoping, praying, that he would not be double-crossed, or worse. Soon, the wagon had pulled into the small hamlet, known once as Lita. As the wagon unloaded, and a group of six bandits popped out on either side, Talagor and Elwan stepped out of the back of the carriage. Talagor brushed off his pants and vest, and he looked around the scene as a group of gnolls began to shamble out of the largest of the decrepit buildings in this hamlet. The place itself, only a series of three buildings, each showing some level of deterioration and wear as time goes on. Doors hung off of hinges, windows were broken, and roofs had caved in. Soon, the largest of the gnolls had popped out of the building's front and walked over to greet them at the wagon. As Talagor walked up and eyeballed this knoll, Hacknaw the knoll had looked back at him, sized him up, and questioned what it was that he was so afraid of. Hacknaw, in a growling voice that sounded sort of like a dog grunting over a bone mixed with a haggard old man, said to him, To what do I owe the honor that you would grace me with your presence? Talagor was impressed by this beast's ability to speak the common tongue, and he was a bit surprised. Talagor did not like surprises. Talagor immediately cut in. I know for a fact that someone like you would not dare to speak in such a way to someone like me. As your employer... I find it my responsibility to do quality checks such as these to make sure that my minions are doing as they're supposed to. Tell me, Hacknaw, have you procured much in the time that you've been here? The knoll stood there for a moment, speechless, as the confidence of this man before him astonished him. Well, we have not had many opportunities to, to gather things for you. I apologize. Talagor took a step forward, looking at his fingernails in a very nonchalant way. You see, the problem is, people like you waste my time. Talagor then looked up at the rest of the gnolls who were there in attendance, and saw the next biggest knoll amongst the group one who looked just about as tall and as broad-chested and strong as Hacknaw himself, and pointed a finger at him, saying, How do you think you would do if you were in charge? If I killed your leader right this moment, would you be able to procure wares for me from this road? Would you be able to do such a thing? With that, this knoll looked over at Hacknaw, 
with a look of panic. He knew that if he said anything that was the wrong answer to Hacknaw, he would be punished swiftly as soon as Talagor left. But he feared what it was that Talagor might do to him if he gave the wrong answer right now. As the moments passed on painfully, Talagor broke this silence as he pulled out his pan flute from his satchel. As if it was a live cobra, many of the gnolls took a step back. Some of the bandits themselves took a step back as well. Talagor stared dead on at the knoll in question and lifted the pan flute to his mouth. As he began to play some of the sombering notes, a haunting melody began to cling to the air. Everyone in attendance had heard that Talagor was able to do terrific, evil things with this flute, and many of them were afraid that they would not have the willpower to resist whatever it was that the pan flute desired they do. But once the song was over, Hacknaw looked back at his accomplice. All of the bandits stared at the accomplice, and Talagor stared as well. Talagor broke this silence by stating, If he does not do well to procure the goods I seek on this road, you will kill him for me, and you will assume control of this pathetic group that you call a band of highwaymen and thieves. As Talagor's gaze fell upon the rest of the gnolls, and finally upon Hacknaw, he said, I will be back here again in a week's time. If you have not done well, as I have requested, I will see to it myself that you are killed. If this one, as he points over to the knoll in question, does not do as he has been told, I'm afraid I will have to do it myself, and I will not be so generous as to let the rest of you all walk out of your lie. Am I clear? With that, Hackna slowly lowered his head and gave a quick, shuddering nod of approval. Talagor, with a slight smile on his face, turned away without saying any sort of goodbye and loaded back up into the wagon. As the wagon bumped down this beaten trail from Lida back to the crossroads, Talagor popped open a bottle of wine and began to drink from it in a hedonistic way where he wiped away the dribbles left over on his face and letting out an exasperated sigh of relief after he finished quaffing this beverage. Elwan, ever impressed by the duality of his leader, looked over at Talagor and said, Did you... Did you cast a spell upon the knoll? With that, Talagor looked back at him with a look of stupefied humor, as if the question itself was more of a joke than anything. And as he let out a couple of small chortles, he handed the bottle of wine over to Elwan and said, There is no magic that is stronger than the power of fear. I don't think I needed to cast anything. Do you? Chapter 5, Part 1 Day 6, Party Status Morris, 8 out of 8 hit points Nem, 
8 out of 8 hit points. Finn, 4 out of 4 hit points. Teriad, 5 out of 5 hit points. And Econ, 4 out of 4 hit points. The party leave the Silver Spoon Inn at the Crossroads Trading Post in the morning. The day was warm, the sun was out, and the sky was clear. It certainly gave them a sense that luck would likely be on their side for this quest that they were departing on. While the party members had slept well that night, none of them felt truly at ease in the presence of Econ. Econ himself was very little of a talker, but when he did talk, he was fanatical. He spoke quickly, and he slurred his words. He spoke primarily that evening of how he had been traveling on the West Run and dealing with the bandits in much the same way that the party had. He had traveled to Castle Gantile, where he had heard much of the bandit leader, Talagor, the Master of Fear. He himself had alleged that he was supposed to be the bandit king himself, and while everybody heard Econ say this, he might as well have told them that the sky was raining fish. But not knowing the true danger that would come across from disregarding Econ and dismissing him as a madman, the party simply nodded their heads and agreed that perhaps they would need his help in the end. Econ had claimed to know the way to Lida, and that itself was enough of a reason to keep him around. By the second day of their travel outside of the crossroads trading post, they had made it to a point where Econ had said they must leave the west run behind and travel off into the fields and hills of the heartlands of Delagrad. The party was now at the mercy of Econ, and they decided that they would follow his directions, but they knew well in their heart that if anything were to happen, there was full agreement that all four of them would stand together against whatever it was he tried to do to them. I'm going to roll for a random encounters at this point for these two days of travel. I got a three and a six. No random encounters today. By the end of the second night of travel, the party were well into the fields of Delagrad, and they were told that Lida was not more than half a day's journey from here. Even though they had been very quiet for the majority of their travels on their way to Lida, that evening was filled with the very talkative Econ rambling on about how he would kill the bandit king himself. He would someday own Delagrad, and the rest of the party would be given very important positions within his new kingdom. Though the party found it hard to sleep while he was rambling on about such grotesque and gruesome things, somehow they found sleep, knowing that unrested combatants do not make for very good combatants, and expecting a lot of trouble from these gnolls in the day ahead, they knew it was more important to get some sleep than to be afraid of the musings and ramblings of a madman. The next day, the sun rose and was warm on their faces. The party traveled through the fields before they had seen in the distance a trio of buildings. This group of them were apparently the remnants of the hamlet of Lida. The party decided at this point that they would not send a scout in. They feared that if they sent in a scout, they would be seen, as there was not much cover in the fields around here 
for anybody to sneak up ahead. The party also feared that having their numbers dwindle even by one person might be enough that they would not do well in their combative efforts. And so, the party, armed as well as they could afford, marched to Lida in hopes of finding the parcel. As the party walked into the circle of buildings that made up Lida, they saw how decrepit the buildings were and the level of disrepair of the whole hamlet. Seeing this, they knew that no innocent people had lived here in quite some time, and it was likely the case that the Knolls were not the first to inhabit this place. As they walked into the center, the entire party brandished their weapons, anticipating some sort of an ambush. At this point, I'm going to roll for a surprise. I got a 1 for the party, and a 1 for the Knolls. Interestingly enough, neither group was able to detect the other one, and thus they were both surprised by each other's presence. All of a sudden, a knoll popped its head out of the largest building here in Lida. A trio of other knolls, one of them massive compared to the rest, popped out of this building and looked over the party, which brandished their weapons towards them, at about 50 or so feet away. Finn, recognizing that this sort of a fight would certainly not end well, he lifted his hands up as calmly as he could and spoke up to the knoll. Hello? Do you understand what I'm saying? At this point, I'm going to roll a reaction roll to see how well they're going to tolerate whatever it is that Finn has to say. Adding a plus one, I got a total of seven. So these guys are going to be neutral. Let's see if that affords them any sort of peace in this encounter. Hackna spoke up at this point. I understand you. What is it you are here for? Not anticipating these gnolls to have a common language with the party, Finn stuttered a little bit under his breath and replied, I... we were sent here to retrieve something. The vagueness of his statement was enough to persuade the gnoll. Are you here for Talagor? Do you work with him? At this point, Econ not having any sort of social awareness or danger sense, immediately blurted out, Talagor? We would never work with Talagor. That bastard. He's... he's scum! How dare you accuse me of allegiance with such swine, you flea-ridden bag of fur! While many of the gnolls had no idea what it was that he had just said, they recognized him shouting as something of a threat, and thus the neutral reaction turned to a violent one, as the gnolls quickly leapt into battle. Combat begins. For combat, I figured that it won't be as entertaining if I go through a roll-by-roll, play-by-play of what happens. Since this fight is four gnolls versus five party members, I think this will get a bit tedious. So, I'm going to attempt to just illustrate what happens without getting too much into the nitty-gritty of the roles. Let's see how this goes. So after Econ blows their chances, the gnolls, who are already on easy, immediately leap into action, with spears and clubs in their hands. Hacknaw, 
and the strongest of his henchmen begin combat by lunging at Econ, missing in their fury. One of the gnolls takes an opportunity to swing at Finn, as Econ catches everyone off guard, and he ends up clubbing Finn upside the head for two points of damage, unfortunately leaving him with only two hit points left. The last gnoll takes after the other of the weaker seeming characters, as he lunges at Teriad with his spear, and though Teriad does not look like much of a combatant, he danced away from the spear thrust and was left unharmed by this attack. The party react to this by having both Finn and Teriad engage in a fighting retreat, as they know a melee fight with a gnoll is certainly a deadly idea. Both miss in their attacks, seeming more interested in running out of melee than landing blows. Econ, in an effort to punish the gnolls for assuming that they would be allies of Talagor, lunges for Hakna himself with his short sword, but trips over his own foot in his excitement and lands at Hakna's feet. Morris and Nem leap into action and attempt to kill the leader and break their morale before the remaining gnolls have a chance to do any sort of damage. While Nem misses terribly, Morris is able to stab in on Hakna with a spear, dealing a quick four points of damage. The party now sees the initiative, and both Finn and Teriad attempt to harm these gnolls with ranged attacks. Finn's arrows fly off into the distance, tinking across the ruined buildings in the back, but Teriad's sling bullet strikes true as he hits a knoll in the eye for three points of damage. Nem and Morris bump into one another, fighting a common foe next to Hakna, and thus they both miss. Surprisingly, as the knoll was dodging their attacks, it forgot about Econ and only remembered him when it felt its legs surge with bleeding pain and three points of damage as Econ stabbed in on his thigh. Hakna, enraged by this, takes his battle axe and swings down upon Econ's neck, and with a critical hit, Econ is instantly killed with 11 points of damage. The other gnolls, howling in delight at their leader beheading this human, swing in on Morris, Nem, and Finn, though none of them manage to hit any of the party members. Furious and fast, the gnolls continue their onslaught on these invaders of their camp. Hakna swings in on Morris, who deftly lifts his shield too late and takes a cleaving hit to his arm, leaving him with only 6 HP left. Nem, hoping to assist Morris in getting out of the way of Hakna's swing, opened himself up for the spearhead of one of the other Knoll warriors. This perfect opening allowed the Knoll to stab him square in the heart, killing him instantly with a critical hit for 9 hit points. The other Knolls began to pursue Finn and Teriad as they started to retreat further. Finn managed to outpace the Knoll, but Teriad was slashed by claws for three points of damage. Teriad and Finn pulled out a dagger and a staff to swing at these pursuing gnolls, but they were caught off guard by this chase. Both were unable to hit their targets. Morris, at this point, having seen his traveling companion and potentially the first friend he had made while leaving for this new life, die at the hands of these gnolls, was enraged and dove in at Hakna with his spear, stabbing him for four points of damage. Teriad and Finn continue to build a distance between themselves and Morris and Hakna. Not knowing if they'll leave this Hamlet alive, they swing in on their pursuers, though only Finn lands a stab on one of the gnolls, wounding for two points of damage. Morris, feeling like all may be lost, loses himself in the fury of battle with the knoll leader, and stabs in again for two more points of damage. Hakna and his minion attacking on Morris, 
but his shield skills are too much for both of them. Teriad, who is able to attack with some range from his staff, is able to outpace the attack of the gnolls chasing him, but Finn, with his dagger, are too close to the pursuing gnoll, and he is cut down for three points of damage, dying as he collapses to the ground with a gasp. Being severely outnumbered, Morris had no choice but to press on, and in one final push, he thrust his spear at Hakna, killing the huge beast. Teriad, still running and fighting for his life, manages to smack a knoll across the head with his staff, killing it with a cracking sound. The knoll beside Hakna lunges forward and slashes in on Morris, wounding him for two points of damage, leaving him bloodied with only four HP left. Teriad manages again to outpace the other knoll attacker and dodge its slashing claws. The remaining gnolls look around this battleground and realize the two survivors are maybe not worth dying over and break from the combat as they run to the north where other gnolls may be camped. At this point, Teriad rushes over to Maris when the gnolls rush out of their sight and he grabs him to say, We need to get out of here, wherever they went. I'm sure there's more of them. Please, Maris. Morris, without looking at Teriad, staring only at Nem, who is lifeless in a pool of his own blood, says, We need to get what we came here for. Teriad, realizing that he won't be able to argue with Morris in this state, agrees, but tells him, Whatever it is we do, we need to hurry. Please, Morris, snap out of it. We have to go. They assume the largest structure in the hamlet the one where the gnolls were residing, must be where the loot is, and thus they run in and begin shuffling through the refuse and rubble, looking for the parcel they came for. I'm going to suggest that there's a 1 in 3 chance of success in finding the parcel, since there is not much to sort through, and the gnolls weren't going to hide it very well anyways. Tariad got a 3, and Morris got a 5. Tariad is able to find the parcel, a small cylindrical jar made of thick, smoky glass filled with some sort of dried powder. And they also find an open chest filled with 500 gold pieces and a handful of cracked gemstones, likely worth around 320 gold pieces. They quickly stuff the parcel in the chest and they rush out of the building. Teriad stops before they leave the settlement altogether and looks up to the sky, then back down at the road. He plants his staff on the trail, and he says aloud, Emwal, though these travelers' journey in this life is now done, let them find sunlight, clear skies, and bright stars to sleep beneath in the realms beyond. As he turned back to view Morris, Morris had already shouldered the short bow that Finn had carried and quickly picked up his end of the chest so that they might leave here. Thank you for listening to an episode of Legends from the Fireside. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review. Some of these reviews may be read at the end of episodes. You can also reach me at Legends from the Fireside on Twitter, or you can email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. 
Again, thank you for listening to the show, and be sure to come back soon to listen to more Legends from the Fireside.